Hello everyone, Lance here, getting ready to bring you a Bible lesson uh, for this Wednesday night Bible study. And uh, thankful that you can join us, uh, whether it be on Facebook or on our website, however it may be, or if you're watching this later on, we're glad that you're a part of it. I uh, miss being with you here for a couple of weeks. We had um, a singing night uh, at our local congregation at Sandlin Road a couple of weeks ago. And last week I was away on vacation with my family. And uh, I'm glad to be back, kind of trying to get back into the swing of things in some sense of some normalcy. If you remember, going back a couple of weeks where we left off, we had uh, begun, started to study uh, Noah and the flood in Genesis chapter 6. So if you have your Bible there tonight, I would invite you to open it to Genesis 6. And we're going to kind of pick up there and begin working through uh, this account of the flood as it relates to, to especially Noah and the work that he did. Last time we did kind of an introduction in looking at the fact that Noah uh, found grace in the eyes of the Lord and God speaks to Noah and instructs him on how to build this ark uh, to save him and his family. That God's going to destroy the world uh, and all of mankind because of the evil that had uh, prevailed throughout all of the earth. And we noted especially that when we come to verse 22, the end of Genesis 6, when it comes to how God had told Noah what to do in building the ark, that we read, thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. And we kind of left it with asking the question of ourselves, would we be that kind of person uh, that would find grace in the eyes of God and that could be trusted by uh, God to do according to all that he's commanded us. And that's what we want to be, certainly, I hope. And that's what we're working toward being. So there's great lessons to learn as we look at this story of the flood. But I, I want to try to work our way through this and point out some interesting details and deal with some questions and some things that maybe will help us uh, in our faith and uh, in our uh, growing in our relationship with God, and especially as we grow as Bible students. Uh, but let's read the text first. So let's go to Genesis 6, and uh, I want to begin in verse 13, and I'll read down uh, through verse uh, 21 or 22. That, And this is going to be the verses where God is telling Noah about building the ark. Genesis 6, beginning in verse 13. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which its is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing, 
Of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. And then verse 22, Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Now there's a lot of things about this flood account and the building of the ark that's very interesting. Some of you may have had the opportunity to uh, go to the uh, ark encounter uh, that's an exhibit in Kentucky. And uh, I have not yet been able to go myself. I've talked to several who have been and seen pictures and so forth, watched some videos surrounding it. It looks very interesting and uh, kind of overwhelming in a sense and, and definitely educating to be able to try to wrap your mind around what the ark may have looked like and the, the size of it, the scope of it, and so forth. And there are things about that that I, I think are very important for us to know and understand. Uh, for one, there, there are those that would dispute and debate whether or not the flood actually ever happened, and especially maybe whether or not a global flood ever happened. And God, in, if you believe the Bible as the Word of God, what we're reading here describes a destruction of everything, not just one general region or anything like that. And we'll, we'll read more about that as we read about the full flood account. But what I want you to notice today is, let's talk just specifically about the ark itself. Because you, you might even see in some cases where uh, maybe a children's book, a Sunday school book or something like that may have some rendition of an ark and it almost will be made to look cartoonish like just a regular boat. But what we're reading about here in Genesis 6 is not... Uh, a cartoonish boat. This is a serious, seaworthy structure. And, you know, the, the idea of it would not have been for it to be uh, a ship to sail around the world, as we might think of something today, but instead you might think of it more like a cargo ship or a barge, in a sense. It needed to be able to float and to be seaworthy in that sense, but not seaworthy in the sense of worrying about navigation uh, or anything like that. It was a survival ship, and it was to be built in that way. And when you look at the dimensions of it, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but I might encourage you to do some research on it. But when you look at the, de the, the details of the dimensions of the ark, it was seaworthy, and it met the ratio when it came to width and length and height uh, that many have followed uh, since that time in order to make something seaworthy in that way. It's been replicated not only in the Ark Encounter in Kentucky, but in other cases as well through models and so forth. And nobody really debates any, in any serious way whether or not the Ark was seaworthy. As a matter of fact, one of the interesting things uh, about it is this fact of it being seaworthy and just the scope of it is is really fascinating too. I want to read an excerpt from a commentary to you here. And this is a commentary on the book of Genesis by Mike Willis and he quotes 
uh, from some other resources here. And uh, I, I just want to read to you what he has to say here. In regard to verse 15 in particular, when God tells Noah, this is how you shall make it as far as the length and width and the height. He says, God gave the instructions for the size of the ark. The ark was to be 300 cubits in length. A cubit is thought to be the distance from the elbow to the tips of the finger. Elbow to the tips of the finger. And roughly that's 18 inches. The width of the ark was 50 cubits. The height was 30 cubits. And Henry Morris did a calculation using 17 and a half inches for a cubit instead of a full 18 and showing that the ark was 437 and a half feet long, 72.92 feet wide, and 43.75 feet high, that would give it a deck area of 95,700 square feet. 95,700 square feet. And when you think about that, we may think of square footage as it regards a house or uh, a building. And so you, you may have a house that's, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of a 2,000 square foot house, give or take on all sides. Uh, we're talking about 95,000 plus square feet. You may look at a large retail building or a decent sized retail building, and it may be 5,000 square feet or 10,000 square feet or 20,000 square feet. Uh, but 95,000 square feet, that's a very large surface area, and that was the top of the ark. And when you think about the volume then of the ark, the insides of the ark, it would have been the equivalent to about uh, 1,396,000 cubic feet. I'll say that again. So the volume inside the ark around 1,396,000 cubic feet. Morris goes on to write, the ark had a carrying capacity equal to that of 522 standard stock cars as used by modern railroads or of eight freight trains with 65 cars in each. So you think about the, the stock cars on a, on a, on a train as you see them go by and you see these huge units there and you think of 500 plus of those units being able to fit inside this ark. And again, the seaworthy proportions of the ark are noteworthy because uh, it is certainly important that it would actually make sense or else someone could say the Bible doesn't make sense. But it was seaworthy in its proportion. And you can find more about that as you research it as well. But I just kind of wanted to point that out because it's interesting to try to envision what the ark might look like. And uh, I mentioned I've been using a, a book here uh, by Mike Willis, the Bible textbook series, as a workbook guide. And you know, here's a rendition of it from a model that is uh, able to be viewed at the Creation Museum in Petersburg, Kentucky. And again, you can go and you can see uh, the ark encounter where. Uh, that uh, construction has been done of a, uh, uh, an actual model to scale the best that man can do. You know, one of the things that fascinates me about this is that, you know, Noah built this ark, and, and we're not told exactly how he did it 
But we're talking about a massive structure. And I don't know if it was just Noah and his three sons. Was it Noah and people that he hired and had to pay to help do this? You know, we're not really told those details. I would love to know them. But what I do know is that this was no small task. This was not a light-hearted undertaking. And one of the lessons that it kind of repeatedly teaches me when I come to this story is that I should be willing to work for the Lord. I should be willing to work for God. I should be willing to work in order to be pleasing to God. There's been a lot of discussion through many years in the religious world about the idea of salvation not being by our works. And certainly there's not anything we can do to earn eternal life. It's a gift from God. But God does ask us, encourage us, instruct us, command us even, to live in a certain way and to do certain things and to respond in certain ways to what he has done for us, to the gift that is by His grace and by His mercy, by His compassion and by His love, that we could have eternal life, not because we earn it, not because we build a stairway to get to it, but because we want to serve God and we want to worship Him. And when you look at what went on here in Genesis 6, Noah found grace in the eyes of God but yet God commands him to do something. And it's not a passing, easy thing to do. He built this enormous ark with a carrying capacity of 500 plus stock cars, more than 400 feet long, more than 70 feet wide, more than 40 feet tall, with three levels and all of these compartments for animals of every kind on the earth. That's a phenomenal job, task, work that was done. In following the timeline of things, and again, we're not given a whole lot of details here, but trying to read into this, it appears that God's first uh, speaking to Noah is some 120 years before the flood actually happens. And if we understand that 120 years uh, that even is referenced in Genesis 6 verse 3 as this time of striving and time of patience that God has, uh, then Noah would have been around 480 years old when God appeared to him. And perhaps even be able to see there that Shem, Ham, and Japheth would not yet have even been born to him. But the point is that it's not like Noah was able to do what God asked him to do in a day, or in a week, or in a month. It took years. It took years. In the way that we look at things, you can say it took a lifetime. I kind of jokingly... Uh, mentioned to our Sandlin Road uh, family a few weeks ago when we were talking about some of these uh, ages uh, when we're given the genealogy of the, the family of Abraham and so forth. 
and then talked about this idea of Noah and how old he was and what he did. And I just kind of jokingly said, you know, if Noah walked in the door at some 500 years old, capable of building the ark, I'm not going to mess with him. <laughs> I'm going to say, hello, nice to meet you, and yes, sir, to whatever it is that he might ask. And the point is that we're not looking at something that you would deem as ordinary. You and I, as ordinary people, could only dream about doing something like this. And maybe we could even surmise that that shows that God truly was with Noah and that he was able to do this. But much more than that, what I want us to see is that this is the kind of dedication that Noah was giving to God. This was the kind of faith that Noah had in what God was telling him, that he must build this ark, that he could build this ark, and that he needed to build this ark in order to save himself and his family and the animals. This was a necessity. It was something he must do. And so he did it. You and I are going to come to crossroads in our life that are similar, where we learn what God would have us to do, what God desires for us to do, and what God has said we must do in order for us to be pleasing in his eyes and have hope of everlasting life. I would kind of ask of us that we be the type of people that I perceive Noah to be here, in that we respond and are willing to do according to all that God asks us. Instead of looking for reasons not to do something, instead of looking for ways to get out of doing something, instead of looking for ways to do less instead of more, let's be those who are willing to do it all to the very best of our ability in every way that we can. These instructions to build the ark were detailed in things like, for instance, it being made of gopher wood. And you may have heard people kind of famously ask a question like, well, what if, what if Noah had decided, decided of his own uh, thinking to make it out of some other wood? And someone might just casually say, well, you know, well, if he had made it out of some other wood, then the ark wouldn't have floated. The ark wouldn't have worked. And that's kind of an obvious thing that we might say is, well, if Noah didn't make it exactly like God told him to, then Noah and his family wouldn't have been saved. To which then I would say, well, if that's obvious in what we're reading here in Genesis 6, then it should also be obvious to you and me that when we read what God has to say to us and it's obvious what we ought to do, then what's the obvious end if we don't do it? There's much to learn. There's much to learn. In verse 17, one of the things that's interesting in talking about the floodwaters, and we'll get into this more than likely next time in more detail. But when we read in verse 17, God said, And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life, Everything that is on the earth shall die. Again, this is not a, 
uh, flood that's going to be restricted to one little local area. This is a catastrophic flood covering all of the earth. That's the way, again, when, when somebody argues and says that it had to have been just a localized flood, then I would say, well, you're, I'm not arguing with you about that. You're actually arguing with what God is saying here in Genesis 6 and verse 17, right from the very beginning, when he tells Noah what's going to happen, he's saying that everything that is on the earth shall die. This is global. Everything on the earth shall die. And so that's what we need to remember as we think about some of the naysayers that are out there. I'm going to read a little bit further here in regard to this. Going to Genesis chapter 7, and I'm going to skip over the first 10 verses that talk about going on to the ark and so forth. I want you to notice beginning in verse 11. Genesis 7, beginning in verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now, what I want you to notice there is, again, is this, is this just a local thing or is this global? Well, the windows of heaven were opened. The fountains of the great deep were broken up. Those are statements that are talking. They're all-encompassing statements. They're not saying the windows of heaven over just this one area or the fountains of the great deep in this one area. No, it's, a, it's a statement regarding all of it. And then in verse 12, the rain was on the earth. That's an, that's an all-encompassing statement. 40 days and 40 nights. In verse 17, the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark and it rose high above the earth. Again, what, what's it talking about? Is it talking about one area or the whole earth? Verse 18, the waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth. And the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth. And all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward and the mountains were covered and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So again, I, I just kind of want to simply point out, what are we reading here about the waters on the earth? Local, small area? No, the description is very clear. It's a global flood over all of the earth. 
So watch out for those who would falsely teach something about a local flood. There have been myths and legends told by um, peoples across all of the world regarding floods and such. And because of the myths and legends told about the flood, there's been thoughts that, well, maybe there really was a flood, but maybe it really wasn't a global flood, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I would challenge us to think about our faith and whether or not we really believe in the Word of God, if we really believe the Bible, the Scriptures. And if we believe them, then the Scriptures are clear. This was a flood over all of the earth in which every living thing on the earth died. The waters covered the earth. Well, in thinking about that, there certainly was a purpose here to this flood. It was to destroy all of the flesh so that everything would die. God was going to restart things. The duration of the flood, the depth of the flood, all of these things are covered in what's talked about here in Genesis 6 and 7 in particular. It was a total destruction of all of humanity. And really, the purpose was to destroy the wickedness. So the last thing that I want to mention in regard to that is, is this. How serious does God view wickedness and evil and sin? You see, I see the seriousness of God and the severity of God in a number of ways in this account. One is that he was sorry that he had made man, as we read back in Genesis 6 and verse 7, uh, in verse 6 and 7 in particular. But also that God would have Noah take on such a great task. This was serious. This was no small matter. This was big. And that God would overtake the whole world with water and be willing to destroy, to kill, to put to death every man, woman, child aside from Noah and his family. We need to see the severity of wickedness and evil sin. I've often said and thought that, you know, if God dealt with us the way that he dealt with mankind in Old Testament times, not just here with the flood, but maybe especially with the flood, but we read about other times in which God struck down those who were doing evil immediately during Bible times. You know, if God dealt with mankind that same way today, how many of us would even be left standing? Would we find grace in the eyes of the Lord? Well, I hope and pray that we would. And if not, we need to be making our efforts to worship and to serve Him and to come to Him, to come to Him with a willingness to do whatever He asks us to do, just like Noah. To find grace in the eyes of the Lord by doing according to all that God commands us every day for all of our life, whatever it takes. 
Well, we'll learn more as we continue to look at this flood account. There's much more to uncover. And one of the things that I want to spend some time on is the evidence throughout all the world that there truly was a global flood. I think it will build our faith as we look at some of those things and consider them. So Lord willing, in all likelihood, next time, we'll spend some time on that as we talk more about the specifics of the flood being on all of the earth. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we humbly bow before you. We're in awe of you, and we humbly bow before you, recognizing you as the all-powerful, almighty God of all creation. Realizing, Father, that you have the power to save and to destroy. Realizing as we look at the account in Genesis 6 that evil and wickedness greatly grieves you to the point that at that time you destroyed all of the earth except for Noah and his family. Father, we're thankful that we are here today because of your long-suffering patience with us, because of the promise that you made to Noah in those days that you would not destroy mankind in the same way again. But Father, we also know that you've promised that you'll send your son that he's coming again, and that when he comes, there'll be a great day of judgment. When he comes, there'll be a great day of the destruction of this earth by fire. And that we all are headed toward an eternal destiny, an eternity in which we'll either be in everlasting life with you or an everlasting punishment away from you in torment. Father, we pray that you might help each of us to increase our faith, profess our faith, stay true to our faith, and serve you acceptably while we're here on this earth. We beg for your mercy and your forgiveness, knowing that we stumble and we fail. We pray for your people all over the world, that they may have peace and freedom to worship, that the gospel may have free course to go to all, we pray for our leaders in our land and other lands that peace would reign and that leaders would look to you and your word for the moral and ethical guidance that you give. Realizing, Father, that so many today far, are far from it. We pray, Father, for leadership in your church that those who lead local congregations will do so according to your word, that they'll do it acceptable to you with Christ as the chief shepherd, Christ as the head of the church, and each of us as servants to him and thereby to you and also to one another. We just pray that you would be with us, that you would encourage us in what's right, Keep us from wrong. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.